This morning in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes again. So if you have a Bible, phone or tablet or a scroll, sorry, I had to do it. Uh, please turn there. Um, it's, uh, if you go to, if you find the book of Psalms, which is pretty easy because it's really big in the Old Testament, and take a right past Proverbs, and you'll find Ecclesiastes. Um, we'll also have it up here on the screen for you. You might be able to see it um, this morning. Um, I'm putting up my timer. And you know what that means, right? When a preacher takes off his watch and puts it on the podium or starts a timer? Absolutely nothing. Well, I hope that's not true because I, I really have been trying to uh, make sure we uh, are in a timely manner this morning. Um, so uh, we're going to be in uh, Ecclesiastes. And starting in chapter 1, we're going to like spill over into chapter 2. And I'm going to be starting in verse 12 this morning. So, hear the word of God. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot may be cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I have said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. And I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my heart how to cheer my body with wine. And my heart still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till... I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from, from which to water the forests of growing trees. I, brought, I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desire, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil that I had experienced in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can a man do who comes after the king? 
but what has already only what has already been done. Then I saw that there was there is more gain in wisdom than folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes on his head, but the fool walk, walks in darkness. And yet, I perceived that the same event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been so fair, very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Seeing that I must leave it to man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils underneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy But the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for um, Solomon's uh, tough words to us that we might be encouraged and challenged um, uh, to, to live a life worth living. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So. Wake up call. That's what we're calling this series in Ecclesiastes. A series of wake up calls. Nobody likes a wake up call. Even as pleasant as they may may be. I think I mentioned last week, I wake up to my phone. And my phone, um, you know, you can, at first, when I first got my phone, it had this um, alarm on it that sounded something like, you know, and it was just usually a really rude, nasty wake-up call, and so I've learned to, like, to try at least to have more pleasant sounds, you know, like a, you know, a guitar strumming or little bells chiming or something. It's still a rude wake-up call. However, not as rude as these. These are some really rude wake-up calls for you guys this morning.
<laughs> oh my god, I think he's throwing up. I think he's throwing up. <laughs> so uh, there was some rude wake-up calls there, right? <laughs> that video goes on. We'll share some more with y'all later. Some really good ones there. My favorite was the last one there. Like I've I've seen some other ones where car, you know, like a husband or somebody will park on the railroad tracks where there's a train parked and be like, ah, it's a train, you know, freak out, you know. That's just, some of that's just darn mean, right? Like, just absolutely mean. And I, but here's the thing. A wake-up call, whether rude or mean or whatever, wake-up calls are still wake-up calls. They're rough. They're tough. They're not pleasant. And that's what happens here in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in, in Ecclesiastes, we get wake-up calls that are an alert. So we, um, we define wake-up calls as a person or thing that causes people to be fully alert to an unsatisfactory situation and to take action to remedy it. Let me repeat that. Wake up call is a person or thing that causes people to become fully alert to an unsatisfactory situation to take action to remedy it. And so we're going to see Solomon here in Ecclesiastes give us a series of wake up calls. And last week was everything is vanity. It's life is a vapor. The more we try to grab it, the, the quicker it goes away. Life is short. Life is, uh, and if life under this sun is short, short-lived. And so the real challenge last week is, what is our life about? Are we squandering the few vapors that, that are squeezing through our life? And the older we get, the more we realize how quick it goes by. And so last week was, you know, is life vain? We saw in, in the Lord, in, second, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us, in the Lord, because of the resurrection, because of what he's done for us, our labor is not in vain. This week, we got another wake-up call. And it comes out of Solomon's experience. Solomon has set out to, to make himself a guinea pig, to make an experiment of himself, to see if he can find meaning in this life, as he calls it, under the sun. In this life, is there a way to find meaning in this life by itself, under the sun? And that, he uses this phrase, under the sun, almost 30 times throughout the book. Um, almost as much as he uses the word vanity and vapor, which is the same word. And so uh, he basically, what we saw here, and starting in verse uh, 12, going into chapter 2, his self-experiment. It's his story. He kind of shares his story of what he did in order to try to find meaning and fulfillment in this life. And his wake-up call for us in this passage here, in this section, is, first of all, the main idea here is your life pursuits are pointless. I'll say it again. Wake-up call. Your life pursuits are pointless. They're futile. And he lays out all the different types of pursuits that we can have in this life. And he shows us that if we are attempting to live a meaningful life, a meaningful 
secular, outside of God, a life under the sun, quote-unquote, without reference to God, we are attempting to grasp the unattainable. So the more we try to live this life and try to suck meaning out of it, apart from God, the more pointless and useless it can become. And he shows us what he experienced in order to do that. And he says it in verse 12. He's the preacher, he's been the king over Israel, and I, apply, I applied my heart, verse 13, to seek and search out, my, out by wisdom what is done under heaven. He wanted to find out how to find fulfillment in this life. And the first one, the first pursuit that he shows us is a pursuit of knowledge. I'm going to walk through kind of what he shows us here. His first is this pursuit of knowledge, pursuit of wisdom. And, and starting in verse 12. I'm just going to read through this part again. Okay? I, the preacher, have been king over the Israel. I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children to, of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this is but striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And if you go down to chapter, tw- chapter 2, verse 12... He says, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. What can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there was more gain in wisdom and folly. And there was more gain, excuse me, there was more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has in his eyes and his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happens to me, will happen to me. Why then have, have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For the wise, as the, of the fool, there is no enduring re- remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise died like the fool. So I hated life because of what is done under the sun is grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. And so he's saying he sought after Wisdom, And if you know the story of Solomon, that was a big part of his story. He prayed not for riches and, and all these you know, things. He, instead, he asked God, just make me wise. And so God gave him wisdom. And, but, and yes, he gave this incredible wisdom to him, but it still had to be applied. He still had to go out and learn. And so he began to say, I'm going to go, I'm going to seek out to be and to know everything I can possibly know. And frankly, if, if anything, that is the history of Western culture. It's, it's been a, a mankind's desire and drive to know and learn and master all things. It is, it's been the course of Western history. Let's know more so that we can accomplish more. Um, and, and so, you know, and so human wisdom has been seeking to know more. And, and what are we trying to know? What is, what, are we, what is this wisdom that we're trying to gather? What are we trying to know? It's to try to solve the world's problems, right? That, I mean, if, you go th- if you've taken a course in, in 
Western history, it's been us trying to solve the problems of the world. How do we travel faster? How do we live longer? How do we do this? And, and at the heart of it, though, is how do we fix the problems that we as human, humans face? Sickness, death, of course. What about war and crime, injustice, all these things that come before us? And the problem is, as much knowledge and as much intellect, cumulative um, information that we have now as human beings, we still have not even come close to fixing any of those problems, have we? I mean, we live a little longer, a few years longer. But there's still war, there's still suffering, there's still famine and poverty and injustice in this world. And, 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 and so this is what Solomon discovered. The more he would learn, the more he knew. He's like, the more I knew, the more I became vexed. Like, the more I became knowledgeable, the more the information that I gathered, the more I saw, the more I experienced, the more, quote-unquote, wisdom that he gained, the more bummed out and depressed he became. And he says in verse 15, things crooked cannot be made straight again. He's like, and what, what crooked is he talking about? He's talking about us. I mean, the, it doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how many self-help books, how much information you have. There's still a real problem with humans. We're broken. We're crooked. You can't make that straight again. And, and that's our world today. And you think about the ways that we do it, you know, trying to, we try to improve life in our lives and, you know, and people through technology, um, you know, having that new iPhone, that computer, all this kind of stuff, um, you know, trying to just try, fix our medical science, trying to use medical science and psychology to try to fix this problem, this, this crookedness that's throughout, um, you know, self-help, all these kind of things. We try to use our wisdom to fix this problem, and it's, it's crooked, and you can't make it straight. And that's what he's saying, is that his pursuit of wisdom and knowledge brought him to an end, where he realized that ain't going to do it. There's not enough wisdom in this world. There's not enough intellect. No one's smart enough to fix what's really the problem. And he gets to that end. So wisdom, it can only take us so far. Okay? You get more information and knowledge. We've had, we have more information at our fingertips. We don't even have to use our fingers. If you just talk to Alexa or Siri or Google, and you have more information than the world has ever had, what is good is it doing? making us more lazy and more crooked as we go. And then, so then he's like, okay, well, maybe ignorance is bliss. Did you catch that part? So he's like, you know, I was doing wisdom things, so I tried out folly for a while. I'll just be ignorant. And that's what a lot of people are doing. They'll just be, we talked about this last week. If we just ignore the issues, don't do a Solomon, don't listen to the wake-up call, just go through your life like your head is in the sand, and it'll be okay, right? Ignorance is bliss, or is it? And so he thought, well, no, it's better to, you know, wisdom is better. Your eyes are in your head. The fool walks in darkness and so on. But then he comes to the point of like, how can I even distinguish between that? Because what happens to the wise, same thing happens to the foolish. 
They both die. They both get buried in the ground. So what's, and he's like, it's all vanity. It doesn't even, I can't, he's like, I can't, it's all vanity. There's no point. It is pointless. So whether you are, are fooling yourself and you're, you're just going with the ignorance is bliss thing, let's just not ask the questions. You know, let's don't talk about politics or religion or anything, philosophy, especially don't talk about philosophy and we'll just be okay. We'll just kind of go through our lives, go through the motions. And he's like, at the end of that, you're going to look back and say, what was it for? And so, or philosophize. Be wise. Get to know everything you can. Use intellect. And at the end of it all, in the end, it's all going to be the same. So he shows us this pursuit of knowledge. And secondly, so he's like, okay, it's not whether we're smart or not. It's not intellect. Let's go for pleasure. And so he pursues pleasure. Now, this is, this is, this is big in our culture. All these are big in our culture today. This is, this is crazy thing is, is this was written thousands of years ago. Thousands and thousands of years ago. And it's still super relevant and applies today. Because these are all things that are going on today. People trying to use human wisdom, trying to use intellect and so on. We're just trying to just ignore everything. Just kind of go through life with their head in the sand. So the lion is coming. Um, and now he's going to pursue pleasure. Verses 1 through 11. Let's take a, a chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. He says... And that's so I said of laughter. Well, actually, verse, uh, uh, um, sorry. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. And in my heart, still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on a folly. Till I might see. That's funny. He's like he's wisely going into folly. <laughs> we could talk about that later. All right. Till I this struck me. But how wise can you go into folly? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be smart about this stupidity. Anyway, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of my life, and I made great I made great works. Fill house. Stop there. Start. Stop there in verse three. Okay. So let's look at what he says here. Okay, he's going to pursue pleasure. So he's going for it. And later, and, uh, later on, he says, I, I didn't withhold from myself any kind of pleasure. If my eyes saw it, it seemed good, I went for it. This is the, the hedonists. I'm going to enjoy life because life is short. Eat, drink, and be merry before tomorrow we die. Here's the philosophy. And so, he's going to jump in. He's going for it. And he's going to start with laughter. He said, I tried laughter. This one's pretty, this one I remember because as a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for a decade. And when I was a youth pastor, a really big popular show was that show, Jackass. Does anybody remember that show? And it was a bunch of idiots um, doing crazy things to get a laugh at any cost. And I, I can remember certain scenes like, one of them would get to like a shopping cart, and then and then his buddies would roll him down a big hill and watch him crash. Or they would play pranks on each other, um, hit each other with fish and, and bun- boxing gloves. Um, any number of nasty, gross and things. I'm not even mentioning here. All of it because it's supposedly funny, and it was like let's just laugh at any cost because laughter 
is the best pleasure. And we do that too. You know, people are caught up in comedians or funny shows or whatever. So if I just laugh my way through this life, it'll be okay. And, and, and instead of laughter, it's mad. What and a pleasure, what, what use is it? We'll talk about why in a minute. Because he goes on, verse 3. I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. And he said, and how to lay hold of folly. You know what this is? This is called partying. And I'm not talking about the kind of parties we throw. We throw, you know, invite our neighbors, have good food. In a vintage grace church, we commit ourselves. We are serious about good partying. And, and serious about joyful, good partying. Um, because ultimately it reflects that God is going to throw the ultimate party. However, I'm not talking about that kind of party. I'm talking about the kind of partying we're used to thinking about. The kind of partying you see on, you know, movies, uh, you know, and in and, and shows where college students go and they drink themselves to oblivion and they do crazy things and they wake up and somebody wrote all over the face and went to the bathroom on them or something and they think later, oh, wasn't that awesome? I puked all over the place. Wasn't that a fun night? Oh, it was awesome. I can't believe it. It's funny because Jim Gaffigan talks about the difference. What if you did, like, what if you talked about your parties? Like, if you want to talk like, like pizza, like you talked about how you drank the night before. Man, I had like six pizzas, man. It was awesome. People look at you like, no, you're just weird. You know, you're going to get fat, right? I had like 18, I had 18 donuts last night. It was awesome. And this is what we talk about, this partying. It's just like, um, let's just act like a fool. But here's the thing about partying. You know, at, at the time, in the moment, it's fun. But then you got to wake up the next day. You know, and as you get older, you realize, oh, how did I even do that? But that's the way, the thing is about the party. You know, the, the free-for-all, go-for-it party, it's fun in the moment, but the hangover can always come. No matter what kind of special drink or concoction you try to come up with, it still comes, right? Okay, so then verses 4 through 8, he, he's like, okay, how about success and wealth? So he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made for myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools for which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any had seen before me in Jerusalem. And I gathered myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I had singers, both men and women, and both men and women. So you see, it's like, I don't remember that show. If y'all remember that show when I was growing up, The Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous? That show went for like 15 or more years. It just went on and on and on. And, and it was a show, you know, they would go and they would show you, you know, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. They would show up and they would show them you know, there's massive houses with gaudy furniture and their yachts and their expensive cars or whatever. Now, y'all younger folks... Y'all remember the show Cribs? That's the same thing. You know, we look at it and we think, man. Now, I remember you used to watch that show and be like, man, they have it nice. Man, wouldn't it be nice to have all of that stuff? And, have, you know, it was just, you know, and that's what he's saying here. He's like, I had it all. Particularly at the time, you know, in ancient Middle Eastern world, 
to have all of that, it was to be to live the lifestyle of the rich and famous. And he says, you know, it didn't, it, it didn't mean anything. And then he goes on in verse 8. He says, and I also gave myself, uh, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines that delight the sons of man. And so here we get, you know, the pursuit sexual desire. And many people do this. They're just going for it. You know, and he, so when he, he says, from what we know, um, Solomon had not just a few concubines. He had hundreds and hundreds of concubines. And these weren't just, you know, your run, these, these weren't your average fives. I mean, he's saying these were your tens and elevens, you know. These were the, the hotties or whatever. And he's like, I didn't hold, withhold at all. I just went for it. And in the end, all he could say was, it, it, it left me empty. It was all of vapor. It was all vanity. Chasing after the wind. And we know that. You know, I, I've known so many people who have pursued that area thinking that was their greatest need, thinking that was the area I got to have. That would be where I would find happiness. That was, you know, whether it's young ladies, young men, thinking, it, you know, that if I just had that right person or if I, you know, if I just pursue this, I will, it'll make me happy. And it's like this, that modern psalm, you know, if it feels good, it must be okay, right? Um, it must be okay if, if it makes me feel good. And, and the reality is, just like the party and just like all these other things, just like the, the wealth and all that, in the end, it leaves you feeling empty. Well, this is why so many people who have made it rich, like guys like Kurt Cobain, I could think of a list of people who have committed suicide and who have found that all the wealth, all the lifestyle, and the rich and famous doesn't ultimately lead to genuine happiness. And that's where he is with this pursuit of pleasure. And so, okay, we're not going to be trying to figure it all out with intellect and wisdom, or the lack thereof. We're, he's not going to pursue pleasure. He's going to move on from that. Here's where a lot of us are, okay, the pursuit of work. Success. And here's another really big cultural area where we, where we can face here. Okay? And look in verses 18 through 26. He says, um, I hated all my toil which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must lead it to a man who will come after me. Right? Yeah. And who, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be a master of which he toiled under the, wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. I turned about and gave my heart up to despair the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge must, uh, knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and great evil. I'm going to stop there. And so, so basically he, pursued, he began to pursue success and work. And he was going to work and make great things. And he was going to achieve great things. He had these He's going to, you know, build temples. He's going to do all this stuff. And in the end, what he realized, you've got to pass it on to somebody else. He's like, what does it matter? I'm going to do all this hard work, and I'm going to leave it to my bratty kids. 
And that's what we see in Solomon's life. That this pursuit, he's at the, I think he's toward the end of his life. He's realizing, man, I've messed this up. Now I get to leave it to my bratty kids. And we know Rehoboam, his son, ends up being a brat instead of listening to the wisdom of elders and, and you know, going easier on the people or whatever. Uh, he says, no way. I'm going to make you work harder. I'm going to be stupid. And he listens to his buddies, and he tears the kingdom in half. Y'all recall this. And it just, it really is the beginning of the ends of this kingdom. So he leaves it to his bratty, stupid kids. You know? And, even, but even if your kids are awesome, what about their kids? What about their kids? What about their kids? You know, go down the line. Here's the thing. No matter how hard, how successful you are, there's going to be a day where you just leave whatever you've accomplished in the end. And here's the thing about work. In our culture, I mean, we work more than any culture in the world has ever worked. We work all the time. We work, work, work. And, and what's the goal? For a lot of, okay, one day I get to retire. So I get to spend the last few of my years hopefully not working and enjoying what I've worked for. But the problem is by the time you get there, you're too old to really in, fully enjoy it. I've always kind of been puzzled by that idea. You know, as they say, youth is wasted on the young. We should retire at the beginning, right, and so on. And so we're going to just go to the end and just retire. And that's kind of where he's at. And you've got to think about um, the Egyptians. So the Egyptians thought, you know, especially the kings and, and the aristocrats thought to themselves, you know, you know, I'm going to keep all this stuff with me. So I'm going to build a massive pyramid or a big old tomb. I'm going to get all the stuff and even some of the people and animals that I had. And they're all coming with me. And they did. They put all this stuff in there. And here's the thing. Even if you do that, you try to keep it after death, one day somebody's going to break into that tomb. Somebody's one day going to find your old little tomb there, and they're going to break into it, and your stuff, and even maybe even your body, will be on display in a museum somewhere like London. One uh, illustration about this idea of what we work for and what we try to accomplish and build in our lives, it's, it's like building a sandcastle in the sand. Now, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. But my kids, they didn't quite get the concept. Well, you know, so we out there, we're digging a big old hole first. You got, I don't know why you, but you got big old, dig a big old hole. And we built like, uh, you know, a bunch of, we built this amazing castle. And we put a moat around it and whatever, you know. And then the tide came in. And my kids, that first time we did I can remember they were little guys. They were so upset because... You know, all that work in their beautiful castle. And they had like little sand, you know, seashells all over it, whatever. When those first waves came in, they were just like, ah, freaking out or whatever. But even if we had, okay, what if we were smart and we used our brains and we built the castle up higher in the sand? Eventually, the wind would come, the rain would come, and wash away. That is what Solomon is getting at here. That the toil, the work, the striving, the pursuit of our lives in the end, will wash into the sea. And that's the idea here. 
that your life pursuits are pointless. Now, here's the wake-up call. Your life pursuit is pointless. Albert Camus, he was an um, existentialist philosopher. Um, he, he argued um, that our hearts, this is how he put it, our hearts long for a love without parting. I mean, he, he, like we just, we just had this long. Okay, but a universe without God gives us only, as he put it, the conscious certainty of death without hope. So I mentioned this last week. The existentialists, they, they had gotten rid of God. And they realized without God, without a higher being, without some other reality besides what we know in this world, okay, uh, in the empirical, you know, in observation, literal, what we can see in this world, um, and Solomon calls this under the sun, without something greater, all we have is the conscious certainty of death. And this chronic lack of fulfillment, Camus, another existentialist philosopher, called absurd. The absurd. That, our, that we are stuck in this world realizing only that it just ends. And that's it. If you subtract God out of the equation, that's all you get. That's, where they, that's the end they get. They came to the honest realization that under this sun, just like Solomon... All we have is the conscious realization that it ends in death. And so, they all saw, like uh, Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre and all these existentialist philosophers basically just saw life as one big black comedy of people foolishly seeking things out of life that it won't provide. So, in other words, life is just this pursuit Trying to get something out of life that it will never provide. It, it's, it's the proverbial dog chasing a tail. You've seen it. The more the dog tries, the more the talk, dog, the faster the dog might go, no matter how hard he tries. Faster he goes, the more that tail moves. Out of grasp. Life is a vapor. It's a vanity. And the more we try to grab it, The more we chase out of it, the more we're going to realize it can't provide what we're seeking out of it. And so in verse 11 here in chapter 2, Solomon says, Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil, maybe the striving I had experienced in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now, that can be depressing. And people come to this place and realize, what's it for? No idea what this life is for. And so it should cause us to wake up and say, what am I really pursuing in my life? What is my life really about? And you fast forward to the New Testament. We talk about this a lot, that the Old Testament... Ask question that only ask questions that really only the New Testament can answer. In the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And in 
in the New Testament answers these questions. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, we see in Luke chapter 9, he says, whoever will save his life should lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, at the same time will save it. See, Jesus came, God sent his only begotten son to live a life. And that life, Jesus willingly gave away. He says, into my hands I give it. He, he tells the, the Pharisees, I don't give away my life. I'm not going to give my, I mean, you don't take my life. I give it to you. He gave away his life so that we could have a better life out of here. He gave away his life here so that we would have a possibility of a life. And maybe even reflecting on Solomon. Um, Jim Elliott said this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot uh, keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and two other men went into the jungles of Ecuador, willingly given their lives to give the gospel to others. It makes me think also of uh, Eric Little. Anybody know his story? If you, if you know the story, if you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, if you haven't and if you're too young to have seen it, go see it. Such an amazing movie, even though it's a little older. But Eric Little was an Olympic athlete. He also came from wealth. And he just had so many good things, uh, so many promising aspirations as a young man. And yet he decided to, to turn all, away from all of that and went to China to be a missionary. And when he did, people were like, he is a fool who would give away <clears throat> fame and status and wealth and, you know, accomplishment. In the Western world, why would anybody do that? To go off to China to, 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 to minister to savages. Why would anybody do that? Well, Eric Little went. When the Japanese invaded China, he was captured. And he died in captivity. And his last word was, it's complete surrender. Just like um, Jim Elliott, he would say, it's no comparison to give away what you cannot keep to that which you cannot lose. Jesus came and purchased for us eternal, everlasting life that does provide, that does give us meaning. So, the question for us, what is your pursuit? What is your life about? What, it, what, it, what are the day-to-day, -day, the monotonous, the... The, the, the merry-go-round, the, 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 what do they call it, the, the hamster wheel, whatever, the rat race. What is it really about in your life? And this is a wake-up call. This is a, a dash of cold water or a blower in the face or any number of those mean, rude wake-up calls. That's what Solomon's trying to do for us. He's saying, don't get to where I was. Don't get to a place, the end of your life, and all you can say is pointless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wake-up call, Lord. I need to hear it as much as anyone here, that the pursuit of this life, whether it be um, through wisdom or folly 
or through seeking after pleasure or, or work, success, career, retirement, all those things, though can be redeemed in you, Lord, those are not our pursuit. So, Lord, I pray that we would pursue you, that our life pursuit would be you and you only, and that we would we'd be willing to sacrifice, that we'd be willing to give this little breath away that we might breathe in eternal life in the end of it all. And so, Lord, help us to be willing and, and able to do that. And that's a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly battle. And so, Lord, we need your help in it. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And as a reminder of that life that was given for us, as well as the death and resurrection that has purchased us true life, everlasting life, we look to this table.